You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, y'all. It's Amir Yasai with The Take On for the Broadway Podcast Network. I'm here with my good new friend. We're so excited to have Kristen Griffith Vanderyacht. Oh, what a fabulous name. Oh, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. If I told you the whole name, you would truly gag because I didn't even put in the middle name. Oh, honey, who doesn't need more names it's, in this world? I mean, it's, hello. you know what? It's so funny because the name is, it won't even fit into a social security card box. Like, <laughs> I had to, you are too much. I had to truncate it. <laughs> oh my God, you are too much. And I'm so here for it. And we've all loved watching you host um, The Big Flower Fight on Netflix. It's such a fun show. It's so dynamic. Um, you know, with your background, I would love to hear how you got involved in this like flower world. I mean, it's so stunning. Everything's so living. And I think especially in the world we're living in, we all need a little more of this. Yeah, you know, I was at a point in my life where I was definitely in transition. I was searching mm. for, you know, what was going to be the next sort of passion project in my mm. life. And at the at that time, I had thought I was going to be a therapist. I was going to, oh, wow. you know, Columbia University and for uh, grad school, and I was studying counseling psychology, and I was going to go like counsel, you know, middle school kids uh, to help them figure their stuff out at a younger age. And while I was in grad school, I was like, you know what? I love doing flowers. I had been exploring it already for two years prior to that. And then, you know, at that time I had extra space in my life. So I started interning at a flower shop in New York City. And when I had that sort of stark comparison between the two worlds, I knew that there was no way that I couldn't sort of live my life as a florist and as a designer. Um, and I also thought that the my clients, my potential clients, deserved to have a therapist who was really, really in it 100%. Mental health is so important. And I think mm -hmm. everyone deserves to have, you know, a sounding board of a person that isn't thinking about flowers and isn't thinking about... <laughs> 
and is you know isn't sitting there. I'm supposed to be taking notes, but I'm doodling, you know, tulips. Right. And so right. I that's really yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, honey, it's time to like pull the plug and then dive into a completely new pool. And that's how I right. sort of like did it. That's amazing. I mean, I love that. And I, as someone that, you know, I was just on the phone with my therapist, I'm really happy that you, you know, were very self-aware enough to realize that you wanted to be present for your clients. Because I think a lot of people are like, you know what, this is like the right job. I'm just going to push through. And I love that you actually pivoted um, and are doing something that you're actually passionate about, which is, you know, essentially this Broadway podcast network is all about that. We're trying to show people that entertainers from all over the world, we all are pivoting and changing direction. And I really want to go back to what you said about being, you know, an intern at a flower shop in New York City. What is it like? Like, you know, a lot of people want to move to New York and they never do. I myself regret never living in New York. (laughs) What's the energy of New York? Like, what did it electrify you? Did it stress you out? I'm curious as to how you felt about the city. Well, here's the real tea. The tea is I moved to New York City to be a Mm -hmm. performer. I moved mm-hmm. to New York City in 2003. Yeah, 2003 because I was cast in the national tour of Rent. And so, oh, yes, honey, I was cast <sighs> in the national tour of Rent as the angel mm-hmm. understudy swing. So I like covered five parts. And so wow. when I moved to New York City, I moved there for work. I moved mm-hmm. there for work. So, uh, my energy and the energy that I was experiencing was of like a very young, uh, go-getter, enthusiastic. I always like to picture myself as, you know, in Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion, when they put on their suits and they get the cell phone and they go and ask for businesswomen lunches. I felt like that yes. was I felt like that was me. I was <laughs> like, I'm an I'm an I here in New York City, I'm an actor and I'm looking for a businesswoman lunch. And so <laughs> And so the energy was, you know, motivating and you Mm -hmm. find your group of people, you find your, you know, your clique, you find your fellow circus freaks and they Mm -hmm. uplift you and they become your extended family and your support system. And then it was actually when I was on the road with Rent, um, I, I did three contracts with them and on my last contract, I was like, "Mm, I'm not feeling like this is going to be my forever career. And it actually, while I was on tour, got started going back to school online and mm-hmm. I got a degree in psychology. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> I had already been starting to make that transition. And again, I think that the energy of New York City is one of, you have your cushion of your family and your friends. And I'm talking mostly extended family. Like I didn't really have sure. any uh, biological family there. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, they're your support system. And then you sort of figure out what your path is and what is going to make you happy. So it was very, it was sort of like very, uh, you know, magical when I was in New York (laughs) City. And then working in a flower shop is extra magical because then you get to experience an entire different world because the performance world is all about personality. And the flower world is all about really being in touch with your surroundings. So you become hyper aware of the air you're breathing. You become hyper aware of your own impact on the world. And it's because that's just tends to be the culture of that industry. Um, 
And so you really dive in, oh it seems. Like, yeah. and, and what I'm getting right now when you're explaining, I'm like, is it like Little Shop of Horrors? Ah! I'm like getting this, this magical world of like flowers. And, and you know, it, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of magical that like in some ways you were performing during the day and then going to the flower shop and you're you're doing all these things together. Yeah. I love how you're so intentional along the way with every decision you're making. And, you know, obviously being a Broadway performer in that way where you're doing multiple roles, did it feel ever like overwhelming or, okay, this is too much? Or were you just someone that likes to power through? Um, I definitely think that there were moments of it being overwhelming, but not overwhelming and it being too much. It was actually overwhelming and it not being enough. Mm. You know, I... You're absolutely right. I try to be super intentional with sort of my decisions. And what I realized about performing is it was feeding a part of myself and my soul that really needed to be cared for and nurtured. Mm -hmm. I grew up Mm -hmm. in a very, very religious household, which I'm sure you can attest to as well. Um, I grew up in a very, yeah, (laughs) Annie, I grew up in a super religious household and I was Mm -hmm. searching for something. I was searching Mm -hmm. for belonging. I was searching to not feel like, oh my gosh, why am I the coolest person in the room and no one gets my jokes? Like, (laughs) I was, I was truly was. And so Mm -hmm. that's what the theater community provided for me. It provided me a a tribe in a way. And so once I actually had that and I felt that acceptance, I was then able to let go of that need because that hole had been filled. And so I had to start looking for, okay, what are the other parts of myself that also need to be examined and elevated? And you know, what where else is the growth gonna happen? Um, so yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's 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 all very it's all very thoughtful, and I think a lot of entertainers kind of jump in and like, I just need to get a manager mm-hmm, and an agent mm-hmm. and then you just go on auditions. But I, I love how intentional you were. And I love that you brought up theater as family. Cause I know the first time I also grew up in a very, you know, religious family. I, you know, being a Muslim, it was very, very religious. Mm-hmm. And the first time I actually felt seen was when I was in, um, Brigadoon. Uh, and I was like, oh my God, I'm actually seen for right. the first time. And, you know, and I, I was able to perform. And I remember my parents came to opening night and they said, you're wearing makeup. Right. And that was their only, you know, comment. And I, I remember then when I went backstage, theater were like, you did so good. And then, you know, from there, there were multiple other plays. I was in Pippin right. and et cetera, et cetera. And then it was just like a snowball effect. So I want to go back to theater as family. Cause it's like you said, it's a bunch of freaks and misfits mm-hmm. and queer people and everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And um, how did it feel to finally feel seen as part of like a tribe? Like what was that first feeling? Well, you know, I, it felt amazing. I don't think that Mm -hmm. at the time I understood what was happening. You know, a lot of this Mm -hmm. sort of uh, perspective that I'm sharing came much later in my life. So if I were to really think about what I was feeling in the moment when (laughs) I was doing theater, I thought I was, the goals were, I was like, I'm about to go be on Broadway. I'm going to be fierce. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be the next, you know, Audrey McDonald is what Mm -hmm. I was thinking in my head. Um, Little did I know. I think a lot of gays are thinking that, The next Yeah, yeah, naturally. Or Patti LuPone, you know. Uh, Yes, Patti. Come on, depending on the day. Um, So, It was 
it helped me build confidence is what I would probably mm. say was the most mm. immediate effect because believing in yourself and believing in your own ability to achieve a goal and you have a very clear marker of whether or not you are successful or not, right? The audience is either booing or they're clapping. So <laughs> it really helps you sort of uh, channel confidence and and that mm-hmm. can carry you throughout any single profession that you do in your life. Whether you go and be a doctor, whether you go and be a you know a floor manager at Walmart, whether you are a hairstylist, whether you are a barista, I think that if you can do it uh, to the best of your ability and feel confident in your choices, I think you can find success and also release some of that stress. So I would say I felt confident first, and then looking back at it, I felt loved and seen. Right. Well, I mean, it's, I think it's, it's much like, you know, hindsight is 2020, yeah. right? Like when you look back on stuff, you're like, oh my God, that was such an impactful mm-hmm. moment for me. But I think it's hard sometimes when you're in it, whatever insecurities we have or what we're going through kind of blocks us from that. So right. I, I love that you're, you know, it's, I always say it's better late than never. Right. At least you're realizing the impact later. Some people move on with their lives and whether they become a therapist or whatever job they choose, they forget about their creative past, right. which I love that you're channeling that. Um, I just wanted to make a bit of a hard left. Um, <laughs> Shelly Williams, <laughs> like we're going to take a little, um, so Shelly Williams, who, um, was going to direct Aida on Broadway, she decided not to do it. And she released a statement, you know, obviously around Black Lives Matter. And she said, Broadway is white. Broadway values white over black. We know this because we have eyes. Um, she, she put the statement on Facebook and it was very long and it went, you know, it was really impactful. I'm just curious as to what your experience was, um, in Broadway when you were this understudy, did you feel like, you know, being a person of color, did you feel at moments like you weren't getting the same opportunities or did you feel you were overlooked at any, um, juncture of your career? So we're talking about Shelley Williams, who was the original Nehebka in Aida, which Yes, absolutely. And then she was going to direct, I think, Aida on Broadway as well. Right, 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 right. And I think that uh, this is actually a really great example of the question and the statement that she is saying. Broadway, oh gosh, how do I say this? And I'm not going to try and be delicate in any way. I'm just going to try and be, uh, (laughs) I'm going to try and be focused. So there's an understanding about Broadway that I think all Black Mm -hmm. people know. Um, we may not talk about it advertently, but it's something that we all know. And I just want to be super clear so nobody tries to come for me in the tweets. That rent tour that I did was a non-equity tour. So most Broadway people are gonna be like, bitch, you weren't on Broadway. That was a non-union tour. So I uh, don't don't try and come for me. I technically was not on the Broadway. But um I think that. My point is, is that Shelly started out as Nehebka, and then I know she went on to direct several regional theater productions of Aida, and she's choreographed, you know, for years and years and years, and here we are having a return back to Aida. And that's just proof that there is a lack of work for Black performers on Broadway. Why are we still doing the same parts? 50, you know, Seriously. 50 times. You know, I have friends mm-hmm. who have done Dream Girls in every state 
possible. Every production, they're like, I'm going to do it. Smokey Joe's Cafe. I have friends who are still doing Smokey Joe's Cafe. And if you love the show and that's what you want to be doing, I'm here for it. Go for it. Live your best life. Mm -hmm. Go do your dream role. Mm -hmm. But I think this also speaks to a bigger problem of there's not enough work. And then on top of it, Broadway lacks imagination. They would Mm -hmm. rather cast the same person, the tried and true ironclad person who they know has done the role 50,000 times to come in than actually do the work and take a risk on someone who may not necessarily be the type, but has star potential, right? So there's a lot of factors that play into the, you know, pretty much the oppression of Black excellence Mm -hmm. in the Broadway community. And I can speak mm-hmm. personally to this. Um, I remember one of the last auditions I went on where I was like, okay, this is utter bullshit, is <laughs> I went hmm. to a final callback for The Little Mermaid on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek Baskins, who's an amazing Broadway performer, who's had a lots of roles. He has not done the same thing over and over. He's really talented. Right. I think it was to replace him in the role. Mm-hmm. And, Did you say Derek Baskin, like Carol Baskin's brother? Oh! No, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a surprise to her. Um, twist. <laughs> plot twist. Um, mm-hmm. he, I think he was leaving the show. Uh, that That's why I assumed. Mm-hmm. And I walked into the room, the waiting room, where every single, mm-hmm. all of us were waiting to go in. And it had mm-hmm. every single talented Black man in New York City in this room. From me, Mm -hmm. all the way up to a man who's in his 40s, 50s, people who had zero Broadway credits, people who had multiple Broadway credits, someone who should be considered a leading man standing next to the comedy queen, someone who should be considered the young lover standing next to a character actor. It was like there was Mm -hmm. no rhyme or reason for all of us to be in that room. And it just made Mm -hmm. me say, in my head, I was like, they really don't even look at us as specialists in anything. They're like, Mm -hmm. we need to cast a Black person, call every Black person you know. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. then what does it boil down to? Does it boil down to who's out singing the other person? Does it boil down to whether or not you fit the costume, which I have been told in my time, you know, you got this part because, oh, you fit the costume. Right? Which completely is just smart. It's like, you don't have tailors like do are you are you is your budget low you don't have a costume designer see those are the things that white people say and me being persian like frustrates me because they say things like that oh there's no trans roles there's no black roles there's no persian roles oh well we need a terrorist so we need to put you as a it's like though but you're not writing more cleverly like Middle Eastern people are more than terrorists and taxi drivers. Black people are more than slaves in a movie. Like you can write more dynamic roles. And when people like Issa Rae do it insecure, they don't ask for permission. And, And what I love is that like movie TV, I feel like has moved forward somewhat. And I feel like Broadway's still like, oh, we're just going to do Aida. And like my friend, a lot of them are people of color who are actors in New York. And it's like, do you want to be in Hamilton, Aida, or do you want to be in the, like, the Wiz? Or, like, there's like, so, Book of it's Mormon, like, come on. Book of and, and here's yeah. the thing. And here's yeah. the thing. You can look at mm-hmm. any Broadway ensemble that has, you know, African-Americans in their cast. And nine mm-hmm. times out of 10, those Black people 
are from the original cast. They're from the original cast. And this can be Mm -hmm. years later, 10, 20 years Mm -hmm. later. And you know why they're still in the show and haven't left? It's because they know uh, the chances of me getting another job are slim because there just aren't another enough roles out there. So I'm going to stay. I'm going to sit down. Absolutely. I'm going to collect this check. <laughs> I'm going to go to Hawaii yeah. for my two weeks every year, and I'm going to live a great, yeah. great life. Well, you know, Absolutely. non-white ensemble members, they are rotating out of roles and out of shows because they know that the opportunities are going to continue coming for them. Um, it's a very mm-hmm. different sort of consciousness that exists in that you know community. Um, it's almost, Kristen, it's almost like a cruise ship, yeah. like the way that cruise entertainment yeah. works. Like, I feel like Broadway is a cruise that has like now been like is now on land permanently yeah. because the way if you if you know cruise entertainment, my ex used to be a cruise entertainer yeah. and it was like, it's so doggy dog. Um, and it's so like, if you get off the merry-go-round, you can't yeah. get back on. And I wonder, I was talking to my friend who's also was on Broadway as well, um, ironically in Rent. <laughs> oh, uh, I probably know yeah, them because so, we're all family. Jay Rodriguez. Oh Do you know Jay ooh, Rodriguez? Ooh. I yeah. have a story about Jay Rodriguez. Oh my gosh. Oh, we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. <laughs> we will come back to that. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Jay was on uh, Broadway yeah. on Rent as Angel and, and said the same thing. It was very much like once you get off that merry-go-round, it's really hard. And when I was talking to him, we kind of came to an understanding where I think because Broadway is bringing all of people from different walks of life mm-hmm. from all over the U.S. and the world, they almost water the entertainment down to match, like, people's own prejudices. I wonder, do you think that has something to do with it? Like, um, what are your thoughts on this watering down? I don't necessarily think that it's out of prejudice. I think that it mm-hmm. is out of fear of not mm-hmm. being a, a successful show and a moneymaker, okay. right? So mm-hmm. the investments that go into a Broadway show are so, it takes so much more convincing to get someone to invest in your Broadway show than it does a film, right? Because if you're like, oh, this mm. film, we got Nicole Kidman, people are going to be throwing money at you, right? But mm-hmm. for Broadway mm-hmm. to get investments that are you know easily come by, you have to have an all-star cast. You have to have not only mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman, you have to have Cynthia Nixon and Denzel Washington and Viola Davis and Halle Berry all in the same cast. And then the show will only mm-hmm. run for like six to eight weeks because they all have different schedules. So I think that there is a fear about the investment that, that a lot of producers uh, allow to inhibit them when it comes to taking risks. And it's not just risk in casting, it's risk in the work. Right after September 11th, um, Broadway was really struggling, right? Because uh, everyone mm-hmm. was like, I'm not going to New York City. People mm-hmm. like tourism dropped dramatically. And right. people, yeah, were, people scared. were scared. And we were all shook. We were all shook, mm-hmm. rightfully so. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening is you saw an uptick on Broadway in material that was based on a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Producers stopped mm-hmm. creating original works. They stopped doing more artsy stuff. They stopped doing pieces that were, you know, really shifting the conversation. And they started taking safe bets, safe bets. They're like, honey, it's, a, it's already a hit movie. Just get the rights, put it on Broadway, throw some songs at it. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and mm-hmm. it worked because like you said, 
Broadway is attracting people from all tours of life. So it is, right. if you're a tourist and you're coming from Cro- Croatia and you're like, hmm, 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 here I am in New York City. I want to see one Broadway show. What am I going to go see? Hmm, the Tales of Ed, the Mystery of Edwin Drood or Legally Blonde? You're going to go see Legally right. Blonde. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really well said because it's it's almost like it's what people recognize, yeah. right? Like even with Hamilton, I know a lot of people are like, applaud that for this amazing show. And Lin, Lin Manuel has done so much with it. But a lot of, I can tell the sentiment in Broadway is very much like, okay, that was done. It's going to be really hard to top right. that again. We're not right. doing that again. Like we're going to go back to what we know. And it's like, they took a risk and it like, panned out but they're still so nervous it's like it's almost like the groundhog they it comes out and it's like i'm scared of my own shadow i'm going back like you know when are we going to make strides because when i think and i love live performance but when i think of broadway i'm like oh it's so glitzy and light and i love an off broadway because it has more heart and it's you see people of color and queer people in large numbers and i know like when aladdin came to la i went and saw it and most of the cast was nowhere even near yeah. Middle Eastern. Like, and, and I remember they? They, they had said what, that. What were they? They were they were every race, which is fine. Like, I'm fine with that. But when you make Aladdin non-Middle Eastern and the producers had said, well, it was really hard to find a Middle Eastern person. I'm thinking there are half a million Persians right. living in LA. Right. So you're telling me that not one of them can right. sing? Not one of them can perform? It's just you're not casting a wide enough net. And I think that's like kind of leads me to my next question is, how do you think that Broadway can rise to the occasion and kind of meet us in 2020? And I know obviously with COVID-19, it's really hard at Broadway's mm-hmm. dark. It's mm-hmm. going to be really hard to come back and do live performances. But how do you think that, that Broadway can be more impactful? Well, you know, look, I've been out of the game for over a mm-hmm. decade. So I'm not right. the best person to <laughs> tell you what the solution <laughs> is. I can tell you right. that whatever happens, it's going to require... Uh, producers and casting directors to uh, get out of their own way and start taking some real chances and stop being lazy. Um, you have to, and you have to think about, you know, the psychology of it a little bit. Um, if you're a casting director, right, you're probably in it for two reasons. You're in it to a give a great cast to do your job, to find the best people to make mm. the director and the producers happy so you can continue uh, booking those contracts, those casting contracts. And then B, you probably get a great thrill from finding the newest talent. That's why mm-hmm. a lot of kids fresh out of school, they work a ton when you're fresh out of school because casting directors are like, oh, who are you? They love the idea of discovering you. And then once you're an old hat and you're back into the audition circuit, you've been auditioning for five, you know, six, seven, ten years, you start to work less unless you are part of that, you know, that one percent of people who are really working. And so even if you are the most talented, you could be the Jennifer Holiday, and you are always going to be seen as just one thing. And so it's going to take casting directors to really think outside of the box. It's going to take producers to start taking risks on, you know, new artists. I think Town is a great example of a show that would have, like, it was, it was amazing and it would still be open today. It was such a great uh, mixed race ensemble, totally original, great music, and not based on a movie. And so... 
<laughs> we need to yeah. stop doing the move because it's like it's it's like our TV shows are remaking movies, our movies are remaking Ugh. TV, our then all of that is remaking Broadway, and then Broadway's remaking. It's like it's getting very convoluted. It's so tired. And I, I think that. And listen, we're not going to be able to fix Broadway in one <laughs> podcast episode. So. And that's not even my goal. <laughs> so we you know, my well. goal isn't even to fix right. them because right. I, I think right. that – and I have a lot of friends who are actors and, you know, I want mm-hmm. them to continue working and I think that they their talent is, you know, extraordinary. But I also just think about so many – like you said, the all of the people in L.A. that you're like, you couldn't find one person? Who could sing this part? Mm-hmm. Like you, you're telling me, I, mm-hmm. I got like six friends on speed dial who can sing this part. What are you doing? Yep. yep. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're, you're not trying yeah. hard enough. And I think that, but it always takes one person. I think Hamilton's definitely broken that, you know, uh, that ceiling for people of color to really like show out in a really big way. And, you know, with trans parts, like transparent mm-hmm. broke that. It, it just posed, like it just takes right. some time. And I think, and that's what I wanted to kind of, um, let's pivot to, you know, the big for fire sure. fight, like, fabulous show on Netflix. So like the cast is just right off the bat. Um, you know, I'm a little biased. I know Ryan Landry is such a cutie. <laughs> so like, I'm a little biased. But the, the whole cast, like, I thought it was just so dynamic. And so, and you know, the father and son story, I was like crying like a little baby. You guys did a really great job of casting it. I just want to know a little bit about, like, if you were telling someone to watch it, like, how do you kind of, like, how do you explain the big flower fight? Well, I like to explain it as, you know, a surreal, over-the-top, floral design competition reality show that's full of heart. and. You know, I think that really sums it up because the creations that they're making are so mind-blowing that, you know, you're you're like, this is reality bending. Um, And then the, the cast is truly, you know, some of the most lovely people that I've ever met. Um... And that I, I call them, you know, they're my flower babies because I really, yeah, because oh. I, I feel so invested in their success and mm-hmm. I felt invested in their success on the show. And I remember when I was, you know, talking to the producers about coming on board and I was like, look, I'm not going to be a nasty judge. That's just not who <laughs> I am as a person. I'm there to mm-hmm. uplift and I want all of them to feel encouraged. And, you know, I can be tough if I feel like you're, you know, messing it up, I'll say it, but I'm not going to be the kind of person who's just like going to give you really awful one-liners. And, and that's what I tried to do. I tried to create an environment where being creative, being vulnerable 
and being artistic are rewarded versus being torn down. And you could tell by the way they even, and by the fact is, because the judges and the producers set that dynamic, you guys told the people on the show how to operate with each other. They were also kind. I think there was one fight (laughs) where someone didn't want to give flowers to the other one. Like, I was like, it wasn't even that bad. And it was like, it was not even that deep for someone that watches Real Housewives. I was like, this is really nice. Yeah. Like, you know, they're, they're not tearing into each other. And I think that by creating that kind of um, very loving space, the work spoke right. for itself. And I, I wanted to ask you, what was one of your favorite um, like uh, challenges? Because there were so many fun ones. There was like the mm-hmm. beast one. There was, you know, you had the underwater animals. You, you had like the, the, the one that was like a mobile. There were so many cool ones. So what's one? Yeah, of your I actually, th- I loved a lot of them. Uh, the Beast one, which is episode three, is was one of my favorites. A, because it was a surprise to the contestants, right? So they had no idea what they were walking into. And so to see them troubleshooting awesome. and making it work, and you really got to see, okay, honey, they've got it together. Oh, oh, them <laughs> over there. Okay, yeah, uh-huh. They need to uh, work on the communication. Uh-huh. And so you really got to see what the contestants were made of in the moment, right? Because right. it's one thing to say, okay, here's the brief. You know what you need to do next week. And then there's another thing to say, surprise! Uh, <laughs> and so I, I thought it was amazing and it was I was truly in yeah. awe of all of their work it's amazing and your suits and your suit <laughs> game on that show was everything the flowers and I, I remember I came across the, the way I found you on Instagram was I actually came across an article that was like who is this gorgeous <laughs> man who's hosting the big flower fight and I could not agree more I was like who <laughs> is this human Giving oh, me life. So nice. um, Thank you. <laughs> of course, of course. And then, and then I got to know you, and I was like, "Oh my god! Not only are you gorgeous, but you're so nice and so kind, and, and creating space for people, which I think is just fabulous." Um, and I'm so here for it. I, before I let you go, I wanted to play oh, a game with you. Um, yes, let's play a game. Um, so I just okay. So right off the bat, um, the first question I have for the game is: If you're going on a mm-hmm. deserted island. Um, who are you taking uh, one of the contestants on the show? Who are you taking? I know they're your flower babies, but I have okay, to go if there. I'm going on a deserted island and I have to take mm-hmm. one contestant, oh my Jesus. Okay. Because they all have <laughs> such different skills, I would probably say mm-hmm. I would take, oh, I mean, Oh no! Oh oh my God! I know I put you in such okay. a bad position. It's like oh, when you ask a parent who's your favorite child. Oh, I know. Well, I'm sorry. I probably would take Andrew because he can build okay. a bunch of stuff, and Mama needs a house. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I'm gonna need some shelter. She needs she needs <laughs> real estate. Yeah, I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need a house. So I okay. feel like I would probably take him because I'd just be like, mm, just go grab those coconuts over there and get some palm trees and, yeah. and weave that together. I need a basket. So, yeah. I love that. Not, a, not the coconuts over there, honey. Uh-oh. <laughs> Not the coconuts over there. I love that. Um, that's amazing. Well, sorry I oh, put you in fine. that position, Flower <laughs> Father. I am so sorry. <laughs> um, okay, so I wanted to. The next part of the game is like it's like a swipe oh, right, sure. swipe left. So it's so swipe right means good, okay. left is bad. So, um, what are your opinions about quarantine haircuts? So people have been dyeing their own hair, giving themselves haircuts. 
How do you feel right, about Right, do it. Live your life. Like, you know, yeah. break the matrix. Yeah. Where <laughs> seriously, <laughs> like, it's just hair. It's gonna grow yeah. back, you know. Yeah. And I am yeah. not my hair, as they say. So do whatever you want. <laughs> yes, yes. Absolutely. I love that. Um, so obviously I know you're you're happily in a relationship and doing well, but if you were, you know, to be single, what are your opinions about this quarantine dating where people are FaceTiming, but they've actually never met? Do you think it's cute and sweet or do you think it's a little bizarre that people are, you know, I have a friend who within a week is talking about whether they're going to have kids. I'm like, yeah, I've met this Wait, person. stop. You're telling me someone has met someone on quarantine and they're like already like, oh, my, you're my baby daddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, people are going in fast. And I don't know if it's because people what? are feeling lonely or we don't know how the future is going to look. But people are, I mean, I have people oh. getting booed up left and right. And I'm like, y'all what? haven't even met. You don't know. Like, what about energy? Yeah. I don't know. So, oh, yeah, wow. I guess. Yeah, what are your I, I'm going to say swipe right because I'm a big advocate for like, <laughs> find love where you can get it. We all need joy right now. But I also yes, am the yes. kind of person that's like, I cannot, I need to test drive the car. I can't be out here in these streets mm. making choices. Mm. And, and that was, you know, uh, no, it wouldn't work for me. But if that works for you and you're happy and you're doing your love is blind thing, go for it. Mm. I love that. <laughs> I'm here for that. Um, <laughs> uh, what is, so I just wanted to like wrap up asking like, what's your advice to people who want to, you know, they want to be an entertainer. They want to be a host. They don't know how to do it. And they're kind of stuck in that vein of perfection, mm-hmm. right? Like we're all so stuck in, I need to have a producer, a studio. And, you know, now with quarantine, we're seeing a lot of late night shows that are shot oh, in their really? bedrooms. So we're like, <laughs> these people are, they just have, you know, like, I don't know if you saw Jimmy Fallon, like his kids interrupt his, you know, his show. And like, I think a lot of people are realizing, wow, I can do it. So what is your advice to people who are like, I, I don't have an agent. I, I'm not an entertainer, but what can they do to get out? Um, I once had a mentor tell me that the hardest thing to be, mm-hmm. if you're in front of a camera or speaking publicly or on stage is yourself. It's, mm-hmm. that's the hardest thing to be just to enter a room sit down as yourself. And I think that a lot of mm-hmm. performers, entertainment, host, whoever you are, if you're in front of a lot of people, even if you're just a public speaker, I think we try to wear mm-hmm. that as armor. We try to wear that as a way mm-hmm. to protect ourselves. So you put on a persona and you put on this sort of image of what you think you want to be. And I would say to everyone who does that is throw that out the window um, and really start with the simple truth of you are good enough already. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I found that when I was, I told, when I came to the realization that I can't be anything but Kristen, I can't do anything but this, then I really mm-hmm. felt free. And so Mm-hmm. The idea of the producer and the lights and the cameras and the makeup team and all of that. I mean, that's great. That's fine if you have the coins to do it. But the truth is, is it's not going to give you the authenticity that we are all striving to connect with. So, you Absolutely. know, and, and that's that's hard work. That is not easy work. Mm-hmm. I am still working on that. I have not arrived. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's true. I think you have, but that's me being well, biased. Well, thanks, sis. <laughs> um, I, I really don't of think course. I have arrived. And and I think, you know, 
working from that lens allows me to continue to hold the mirror up to myself. And, and when you hold the mirror up to yourself, you're forced to see the truth. And the truth is, is that you are fabulous and you are amazing and you have gifts that nobody else possesses and sit into that, lean into that. It may feel uncomfortable, but lean into it. And I guarantee you, even if you're not successful, you will be happier. And that is successful. Mm, And that's successful in itself. It is. It is. I think a lot of people, it's how you define success. I remember I did that like exercise everyone tells you to do where you write down what is success. And when I realized it, it wasn't being a millionaire. It was about creating space. It was about having enough to feel comfortable in my life, but never about millions and fame and all that. So sometimes when you do the the work, you realize that. And I remember Lizzo said something amazing was like, I'm not the first curvy black girl who's singing in front of you. I'm just the one that doesn't ask for permission. Right. Right, exactly. And you know, and and I and I yeah. I really have to emphasize that I am mm-hmm. here right now because of people like mm-hmm. uh Sylvester. Right? Mm-hmm. And Marsha P. Johnson mm-hmm. and and people yes, like honey. RuPaul and Billy Porter, you know, they're more mm-hmm. con- Exactly. Yeah, these people have done the work and they've rioted for us and they've broken things and they've looted, which is funny when gay people say Black Lives Matter isn't ruining pride. I'm like, honey, without Black Lives Matter, there would be no pride. You better hear it in the seats in the back, honey. You know who I'm talking to. Yes. Yes. In the nosebleeds, the, you know, cisgendered white gay men who continue to cancel trans black women's lives. You have to hear it. You have to hear it. Stonewall and and the, you know, the owner of Stonewall said without black trans people, hear it again, without black trans people, there would be no pride. So let's make that very clear. And I think that it's not about being aggressive, which is what people love to throw around the word aggressive. It's not that it's about rights and it's about kindness and it's about love and it's about pride and all of those are in every yeah. country and every yes race, you're every absolutely right so that's my yes. that's my ted talk honey thank you for coming <laughs> thank you yes. for coming um i really appreciate it um no but it, you know honestly all jokes aside i truly have enjoyed talking to you i think you're you're such a light and you're you know and i think that I was always looking for someone that I could just like connect mm-hmm. with in the entertainment industry. And I Yay, really feel yeah. Oh, good. And, um, I feel the same. You're such a sweetheart. Thank you. Thank you. And everyone has to go watch yes. Big Flower Fight. Go binge it right now. It's on Netflix. And um, Kristen hosts like a oh, champion. Honey. Um, and, <laughs> and I am just so here for you and happy pride. And I, I really, truly wish you all the best. Um, just tell us where um, everyone can follow. Uh, you you can follow me at Kristen GVY. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-G-V-Y. Yeah. Yes, honey. It just sounds like a drag name. It rolls right <laughs> off the name. Kristen GV one only. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, that is amazing. That's amazing. And thank you everyone for watching. I mean, what am I saying? Watching, <laughs> listening to the take on <laughs> uh the take on with Amir Yasai. You can follow me at A-M-I-R Yas, like Yas Queen, Y-A-S-S underscore on Instagram. Please DM us, let us know, like, comment, subscribe. We're here with you. Happy Pride, everyone. I love you all. Peace. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Take On. The Take On is produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Kyle Moore, and is a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. 
You can find out more about me and The Take On at vpn.fm backslash The Take On. And on my Instagram, of course, at Amir Yas underscore. Don't forget the underscore. Make sure to subscribe and rate The Take On wherever you stream your podcast and keep tuning in for more amazing guests. I do my best to bring you guests all the way from Broadway through to Hollywood, honey. This is The Take On with Amir Yasai. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.